Hey, it's Bob Stoffer. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to Oilers Now ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer, weekdays at noon on Oilers Radio, 630 Chad. 6.30 Chad and the Edmonton Oilers Hockey Club present the show that is everything Oilers. Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer. Brought to you by Digitex. Office supplies at huge savings? Yeah, Digitex does that. D-I-G-I-T-E-X dot C-A on Oilers Radio. 6.30 Chad. This is the second hour of Oilers Now. Bob Stoffer with you. It is 105 in Edmonton. Oilers Now is brought to you by our title sponsor, Digitex. Don't spend your valuable time meeting with door-to-door sales reps. Well, you know what? Uh, That's a given right now, given the current uh, step. So Digitex is your all-in-one convenient location at digitex.ca. Alberta's number one owned and operated place to buy office technology and software. Hugh Porter and his gang at Digitex, they will take care of you. You can reach us. We'll uh, get to our Ashley Fine Floors text line again during the course of the show. Ashley Fine Floors providing winning results for 35-plus years. And uh, momentarily, we'll head off to the River Cree Resort and Casino Hotline. Do want to tell you, uh, every uh, day during the course of the season, the Oilers Now Injury Report for James H. Brown Injury Lawyers. Accidents do happen. Go to jameshbrown.com. Trent Brown, Jim Brown, and his staff, they will take care of you. To the River Creek Resort and Casino Hotline, and we are pleased to be joined on the line by the Cult of Hockey's David Staples. Hello, David. How are you? Hey, Bob. I'm good. How are you? Good. You had some uh, interesting things. So just before we get to the hockey stuff. Yeah. Uh, you know, we have an ongoing uh, worldwide pandemic right now on COVID-19 and the coronavirus. And again, there will be updates in the half hours with Eileen Bell and Jalen and I at uh, 2 o'clock. We'll take over with 6.30 Chet Afternoons. Uh, we will get into some hockey stuff momentarily, but I know you put a, uh, a blog out or a story out today on Canada's handling of the situation and its reliance upon the recommendations of the World Health Organization. So maybe give us a Coles Notes version of your perspective on that. Yeah, so the WHO is the big international organization that takes care of health. And um, right from the start of the epidemic, you know, they, they kind of take a, a broad view and they're not really, their primary concern isn't any one nation. So they were telling nations like, you know, don't cut down on travel don't cut down on trade between nations like don't isolate china the one nation that um that where this outbreak started don't isolate them don't cut travel and they said this from the start and they've been consistent they haven't changed their tune and canada really told that line you know our top health officials were thinking well that's the way to go well it turns out it was a bit of a disaster the one country or the few countries that didn't listen to the world health organization bob taiwan singapore north korea I mean, Taiwan is right next to China. They were expecting the worst outbreak after China, but they have slowed the outbreak there more than any other nation in Taiwan. And they did so by putting it right away, like on on uh, December 31st, 2019, before any of us had heard about this, they were on planes in Taiwan, incoming planes from uh, China, and checking every passenger. Um, They put in travel bans uh, by the end of January, they had shut down travel to China completely. Um, they put anyone coming into the country had a 14-day mandatory quarantine um, as early as uh, early February. 
Um, they were producing millions of face masks. People in Taiwan wear face masks on the street right now. Um, uh, we have a mutual friend, Der League uh, Hero, who we, who we talk to online now and then, and, and he lives in Taiwan. And he's been, he sent me some videos. Everyone there is half the people there, at least two-thirds, are wearing face masks on the street. They, they produce millions a day face masks. And again, their outbreak has been nothing. So we just really... You know, like, it's not, we're not unique in Canada in dropping the ball on this. None of the Western nations did a good job. Even the ones that put in travel bans, they failed in other ways. But we were really reluctant to go against the WHO guidelines, although finally we did a complete about-face last week. And, and today, I hear, we're putting in a mandatory 14-day quarantine on all people coming in the country, uh, unless you're, I think, an essential, yeah. doing an essential service. So we dropped the ball. Uh, the Trudeau government really dropped the ball by following the WHO. You know, the, these big international organizations, they don't really, they're not about borders. But it turns out borders would have been a really good thing for Canada if we had enforced better at the borders. Uh, it's interesting because I know that in international sport, we've seen a shift into where the power base exists. And it's illustrated all the time in terms of who gets awarded Olympics. Uh, you know, 20... Uh, 2018 Winter Olympics in Russia, uh, regardless of the fact that they have uh, very, uh, shall we say, less than politically correct perspectives on certain issues involving athlete sexuality and that sort of thing that is just simply not acceptable in uh, in Western uh, countries' uh, societies any longer. Uh, 2022, it's going to be in China again for the Winter Olympics. Uh, 2020 was going to be Japan, 2021. And I guess what I'm saying to you here, David, is we've seen a shifting of the power away from the Western countries. And Canada and the U.S. obviously would be considered a, a Western country along with the Western European countries. And we've seen uh, Russia, who's an immensely powerful country. Some would say they have too much power over the U.S. That's another conversation for another day. Uh, Russia, China, uh, obviously India. China and India have huge populations. Uh, does the same sort of power and clout that exists in international sport does that perhaps exist with the World Health Organization? Well, definitely. This has been a critique of the World Health Organization that they um, are controlled far too much by China, who is a major funder of the WHO. And um, I think you can see it actually in January. You know, what we now know about China is that they totally, <laughs> officials there um, totally tried to hide the pandemic. Um, they, they, you know, the one doctor who was a whistleblower, they cracked down on him. They cracked down and muzzled all the whistleblowers. They tried to keep it quiet. And this, this virus is far worse around the world because what China did in the early days. But in January, now you might say the WHO didn't know this, but in January, the WHO was like praising China. And, uh, you know, saying, well, China says there's no person-to-person -person transmission. On January 15th, the WHO put out a tweet. There's, you know, person-to-person -person transmission of this is is not is a kind of unlikely, and that couldn't be more wrong as we now know. So um, the WHO was certainly close to China, believing everything China had to say, and frankly has egg on its face because it did so. All right, let's switch focus. Uh, part of the reason why we have you on is because of the success of. A large part of the reason why is the success of Cult of Hockey. And uh, you often write off of certain things that appear in um, other publications and that sort of thing. We've not heard from Oilers General Manager Pete Chiarelli, uh, David, until two weeks ago. Uh, Oilers mm -hmm. former GM Pete Chiarelli 
uh, Bruce Garriock, who would be the first to admit he is a friend of Pete's, dating back to their time together in Ottawa. Pete Chiarelli's from Ottawa. Pete uh, went back to Ottawa, worked in the Senators' organization and management after uh, briefly working in the agency business um, before becoming the general manager of the Boston Bruins and then later the Edmonton Oilers. What would you what'd you think of uh, Chiarelli's comments uh, that appeared in Gary Ock's piece? Well, it was interesting. Shirley says he wants a job as an NHL GM, but kind of the narrative out of Edmonton is haunting him. Uh, Gary Ock's piece, uh, I don't even know if it mentioned. Like, I, I think if you, I haven't done this, but it, it makes me think I should. I haven't polled Oilers fans, but if we polled Oilers fans and asked them, okay, what was the worst move that Shirley made? I wonder what it would be, because the, the piece doesn't mention uh, the Lucic signing or the Reinhardt trade. And I think a lot of fans would vote for those. But what, what Shirley really talks about a lot is the Hall for Larson uh, trade, which I think some Oilers fans would definitely vote for. But the interesting thing about Hall for Larson is, you know, the, the final story on that trade hasn't been written, Bob. And I know it was, a you know, New Jersey got one really great year out of Hall. They made the playoffs. But generally, New Jersey with Hall, it was losing, losing, losing. And Hall had a lot of injuries and was eventually traded. They got a decent return. So I think New Jersey, you could say, got a, got a win, maybe a big win, one, obviously a huge win one year, and maybe a win overall, definitely a win overall on that trade. But Larson... Um, he was playing his best hockey before this COVID-19 thing. He was actually, he was crushing it in the defensive zone. He was everything that the Oilers wanted when they traded for him. And I think it was kind of, he was finally healthy. And the funny thing is, you know, if there, if there is a playoffs this year, if, if there were a playoffs this year, if Larson were to uh, be a key player on the Oilers in the playoffs uh, in, in terms of the Oilers winning a few series, that would do more for helping Peter Shirelli's reputation than anything. You know, suddenly people might think, oh, that, you know, he wasn't crazy. That wasn't totally insane uh, for making that trade. Although it's pretty hard to defend some of the moves, like, uh, and I wouldn't try on the Lucic uh, signing and the uh, Reinhardt trade. The dry settle contract worked out. Lots did. I mean, look at his drafting yes. record. Look at Lots the players did. they brought in under Shirelli, you know. He, he's some people don't like to give him credit for that but I mean he was the GM in charge and they usually do and I mean that one year they drafted Caleb Jones Ethan Bear and John Marino now that was um, that was kind of the old scouting regime with, but Bob Green was there he was in charge and yeah so some good work done in terms of uh, player well the Marino yeah the Marino pick I'm going to tell you point blank was tied to Shirelli and the scout that he brought yeah. in at that time and that was part of the reason why Marino ultimately didn't sign. All right, switching focus. Uh, one of the things that Ken Holland's done well is acquire cheap wingers, David. Yeah, I was thinking about this, Bob, because I was uh, just looking at the statistics this year and seeing how well some of these wingers did, these, some of these new guys. And, you know, it, you know, uh, James Neal had a pretty good year. Cassian, like, he's not a new guy, but he did well. But NS, FNSEO, suddenly we have... <laughs> excuse me, a lot of wingers um, who are possibilities uh, for the top six. We didn't have that before. So I was thinking about it, and, and I looked into it. Almost every year during the decade of darkness, we gave away a top winger. The Oilers gave away a top winger. And sometimes they got a good return. Sometimes they got a terrible return. So let's just quickly go through the list here. Uh, 2005-06, Sergei Samsonov doesn't come back. 
2006-07, we lose Ryan Smith and Joffrey Lupo. And Lupo went on to have some good years in Toronto. 2007-08, Curtis Glencross. You know, that was a real bad one. 2008-09, we trade, uh, the voters trade Eric Cole for Patrick O'Sullivan. Um, essentially, that was the deal. 2010-11, Oilers move out Dustin Penner. They got a, a pick that turned out to be Oscar Clefbaum. 2011-12, they gave they gave up on Andrew Cogliano, who was about to become a real strong checking winger in the NHL. 2014-15, they gave up David Prawn. Of course, they got a first pick that was given away for Reinhardt. 2015-16, Taylor Hall. 2016-17, Jordan Eberle. 2017-18, Patrick Maroon. And 2018-19, Ryan Strom. Uh, who was a center winger on the team. So almost every year, Bob, they were given, and the years they didn't give away a top winger, it's like they didn't have one <laughs> to give away almost. So, you know, finally, finally, Ken Holland has reversed that and brought in a number of useful wingers. And, and you know, we were just starting to see how useful some of them were going to be. But, you know, they're, they're, you know Athanasio, Ennis, uh, Nygaard, Neil. So good work by the new GM in that regard. All right, uh, we're going to do it year by year here. Smith and Lupul, you said in uh, Samsonov doesn't count. He was he was brought in as a rental. Uh, Smith and Lupul in 0607. That's yeah. all about Ryan Smith's camp. You know, you can't sit there and agree to a deal twice and then go back on it. Uh, regarding Jarfi Lupul, McTavish didn't want him on the team, so they traded him. Uh, yeah. In two, sorry, 0708. Who'd you say? Uh, Curtis, uh, Curtis Glencross. Glencross. Yep. Yeah, decision, David, between Curtis Glencross and Robert Nielsen at that time. Remember how Robert Nielsen finished the season on the kid line with Cogliano and Gagne. 0809, who'd you have? Cole for Patrick O'Sullivan. Yeah, I don't think Patrick O's, uh, I don't think uh, Eric Cole was overly happy, much like Vishnovsky. Uh, Cole yeah. came in that deal for Pitkinen, who the Oilers had picked up for Lupul. Uh, I don't think Cole was overly happy at that. I, I saw Eric a lot. Uh, he was quite happy to be traded back uh, in a three-way deal to Carolina. Uh, Patrick O'Sullivan, you know, there was some real challenges that maybe not a lot of teams were prepared to handle at that time for yeah. a player that gone Penner through. What he is gone next. Through. Dustin Penner, they, how can you argue with the return they got on Dustin Penner? No, good. They got, they, they got, that, that trade worked good. out, obviously. Okay. Cogliano. Uh, Cogliano, I remember when that deal was made. I like Andrew a lot. Um <clears throat> I'm not going to excuse, like, Tambellini got a second-round draft choice but back for that. Uh, one of the things for Cogliano is he saw himself as a top, top six forward in Edmonton. The moment he went to Anaheim, they presented reality to him. You're going to be a third-line energy guy and kill penalties and all that kind of stuff. And he became a great player for a number of years. So uh, next after Cogliano. Uh, David Perron, who they got the first pick for. Got the first pick. I'd say got a decent return. I mean, let's not forget that year in 20... David Prawn was a real good player. Yeah. Uh, he has moved around a bit. Uh, I think people have come to terms with the fact of how good of a player he actually is. Um, Pittsburgh almost ended up missing the playoffs. David David didn't really fit in well uh, for Pittsburgh, but obviously the problem is the Oilers should have had more information on Griffin Reinhardt on his uh, work ethic and perhaps his lack of passion. And yeah. uh, 
And I know that Pete Chiarelli really liked the performance that Griffin had in the 2014 Memorial Cup. Let's not forget Edmonton upset Guelph in the final 6-3 that year after they won that game in triple overtime when Lazar scored. I forget the Quebec League team that they were playing. To get yeah, that was a, was a powerhouse team, eh? But it, it was a power, it's an interesting team. It was a powerhouse team, but it hasn't had that many NHL successes. I think Tristan Jari... Yeah. Um, yeah. Whereas, whereas the team that Edmonton beat has had several players make it onto the National Hockey League. Yeah. Uh, anyways, the bottom line here is when you have constant turnover with management uh, and coaching, that these sort of things happen where you you don't value the. I mean, look at Jeff Petrie. You know, you get to 300 games. Like the Oilers are at 300 plus games here with Oscar Clefbaum, and they got Clefbaum on a great contract. We have a lot of people at Texas Show on a daily basis that think the Oilers. You know, they did another two-year bridge with Darnell Nurse. They don't think the Oilers should sign Darnell to a long-term deal. I would say, why would you be a farm team and get players up and running the 300 games and trade defensemen at that time? Right. Well, so this, this whole thing, part of it, it reminded been... me of the Fantasio uh, thing where Detroit gave up on a good player. And I just think that the, the general thing is bad teams tend to not be able to keep the good players happy, keep good players around, or they move them for other reasons. It's just, I just think if you're a bad team, there's, it's just tough in some ways to keep good players, or maybe like there's a bit of a, a, a bad loop there, um, and the good players don't want to stay, or the bad managers just decide not to keep them. Both. All right. Uh, one final one, uh, final topic for you. Wanted to hit on today. Uh, I should, I should read. Actually, you know what I'm going to do, Dave? We're going to save this topic for another, another day. Uh, I'm going to read okay. two contrasting uh, some texts that have come in on our Ashley Fine Floors text line. Uh, this text comes in, like I said the other day, don't trust anything that China or who says. That's what one texter says. <laughs> Another texter has said, immense respect, Bob. As a society, we need to stop being obtuse. The IOC goes where the money is. They will award the Olympics to whatever nation comes calling with the money to back it up. The WHO, UN, etc. have all been corrupted by political influences that aren't opposed to uh, bribes. I mean donations. However... Uh, a contrast text here, David. This hindsight crap is crap. Lowbrow to turn a situation around to support a preconceived notion against Trudeau. Yeah, it appears who had bad info and the world listened to it. That's Trudeau's falling or failing. I'm not a fan of his, but even I recognize that this it, this take is garbage bagging for interest from right wing nuts in Alberta. <laughs> By this, by this logic, uh, should we not trust Dr. Dina Hinshaw? She's been basing decisions on worldwide data. Please try to defend that idea on the air in two months if we find out the other bad info that was out there. Uh, do we drag her over the coals because there was bad data out there? How would you respond to that, David? Well, here's the difference, Bob. On January 28th, I put out a tweet saying, what are we doing with our border policy? Why don't we shut our borders? Why don't we look at that? And I said, I don't have all the answers here, but why aren't we talking about this? And in Ottawa at the time, there was there was uh, MPs from every single party for the last two months who have been relentlessly questioning the Liberals on their bad border policy until the Liberals finally changed it. In a free society, you need criticism. You need people to speak up when things went wrong and were going wrong. And that's what I did. And that's what MPs did the whole way along. So this isn't second-guessing. This is saying, like, we were saying you got it wrong. Like, finally you got it right. And, you know, no, you don't question Hinshaw when she's getting things right. No one's questioning her now. 
But if, if she would have been getting things wrong from the start, for sure people would be questioning her. That's what happens in a free society. She's done a, she's done a great job, by the way. Like, you watch her, she's oh, really yeah. composed. You know, uh, you watch the theater out of the U.S., David, on some days, and it's... And we're not talking uh, Tiger Kings either. Hey, uh, we'll leave you with this. Uh, Herm, who worked in uh, major junior hockey uh, for a long time, says this. Bob and David, you may not agree. You may or may not agree. Larson for Hall was and still was a good trade. I still ask the question as to why is Taylor being moved around. It will be interesting to see the interest for him. You'd be a great player. Uh, you could be a great player your present team. Uh, if you're a great player, what will your present team do to keep you? Just my thoughts. Well, part of the challenge Arizona's going to have here is they've, I mean, they've signed, who's, who's the, the Clayton Keller? They signed him to a $7 million a yeah. year deal. Yeah. He is not a $7 million a year player. Yeah. So, you know, like, I, that, I'm that sorry. That trade didn't so, work out for them. The Hall trade didn't work out either. I mean, they, they lost. Timing did Hall. Uh, Wait, wait, wait a sec here. Timing didn't work out for them either. Yeah, that's true. They lose Darcy Kemper, their number one goaltender, once he gets there. They're a team that, like, and you know what? You'll say, well, all of their goalies are around 920. But that team was challenged. The, the trade that didn't work out for Arizona was Phil Kessel. Taylor's sure been relatively productive. In fairness to Taylor, uh, you know what? There's a lot of guys that just don't like Taylor. I'm not one of those guys. I just look at what the guy did five-on-five five with Edmonton and the challenges the Oilers had throughout the course of their roster. And I just think that they had more significant challenges than Taylor Hall. And it, to me, yeah. it's tough to ignore the fact that the guy became an MVP with another NHL club. So there you go. I will agree with you, David. I think Larson was really good in the final 15 or 20 games. Hey, we're going to have to do this again, okay? Thanks, Bob. Good talking to you, Matt. You bet. That is David Staples from the Cult of Hockey, and uh, he got a great response from the texter that was challenging. So there you go. Uh, it is 126 Edmonton. We are going to head off to a global news weather traffic update again. Eileen Bell's got all the information for you coming up on COVID-19 and pandemic and coronavirus. And at 2 o'clock today, Jalen and I will continue down that path with 6.30 Jet Afternoons. John Shannon will uh, get into some of the conversations that have occurred the last couple days between ownership and the NHL and between the general managers in the NHL when we return in Oilers Now. Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer, Weekdays at noon on Oilers Radio, 630 Chad.